Miracy. The more we can share the stories of people like Deborah who have gone through that process to actually redesign and improve their courses based on principles of effective learning design, and then go the extra mile to actually put in place an evaluation mechanism to see how effective their courses are and to identify specific ways to improve them. You know, that's really the path forward. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Ng, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we welcome Deborah Cady to the show. Deborah is a licensed clinical social worker, as well as the founder and CEO of Silver Linings International. Deborah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start at just 30,000 feet. Tell us, I mean, who are you and what do you do and how did you come to do it and how did that make its way to the world of online courses? Wow, that's a lot of questions. So first of all, my name is Deborah Katie, and um, I'm all the things you say I am, licensed clinical social worker. I'm a certified appreciative inquiry facilitator, and I have 30 plus years of experience in the mental health field. My particular speciality is around youth and young adults, ages 16 to 26, who have mental health challenges. And from a therapeutic standpoint, but also from how do we change the systems that serve them so that they can have a great trajectory into adulthood. And I am going to reflect back on how I got here from Mm -hmm. when I was there, which was back in the work world. And it was really, I was thinking about this, it was about uh, three years and three months ago, I think, where I, I took this leap. Uh, I finished up a grant-funded position, and I was like, oh, I'll just do consultation. And that was in, I think it was like literally November of 2019. And we all know what happened in <laughs> the following few months. Um, so my savings were basically like dwindling down to nothing. And I it was that moment where you have to pivot. And I was so far overqualified when I moved to this area to be near family that I really wasn't getting like a regular position. It was like, no, she's too expensive. We can't hire her. <laughs> she's too overqualified. And I, I started exploring the idea of how do I get online? How do I do a course? How do I reach people online? And I ran into Rizuku. And I was looking for something friendly. How can I do something on a course platform? And I was like, oh, okay, that looks really easy. And then I got an email that said, teach your gift. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. And between the two, I leaned into both of those, I guess, uh, the platform, right? And also how to, I have no idea how to do this. And I, by the end of that year, I launched my pilots. And I (laughs) was like, wow, I went from, oh, I'm going to be a consultant to, oh my goodness, a a really successful course creator and teacher. And I went from piloting one course to having five in three years. No, that's fantastic. And congratulations. I'd love to hear what was that first pilot and how did that pilot evolve into the suite of courses that you offer today? Well, you know, I, I started 
with what I knew and what I had already done some workshops and some presentations on, which was um, engaging youth and young adults in a way that's non-tokenizing and that doesn't involve re-triggering them or having them re-experiencing trauma as a result of us involving them in the work, involving them in the system's change. So I started with a thing that I had already had some credibility towards. And so I went through the launcher course and doing all of that market research and having to call all these people that I used to work with. That was like, you have to like set set your ego aside and go, you know what, this is what I'm trying to do. And you just put it all out there. And it was, I was fearful and I did it anyway. And I got the support that I needed to keep doing it. But I was like, this is what I need to do. And from that, that research and doing the pilots, I actually came into eight steps, uh, my own creation of helping people who are in the workforce um, create and launch their ideas without tokenizing or traumatizing the youth that they're trying to benefit. That's kind of like the short version of it, but it was a pretty involved pilot. I ran them four times, if you will, because I had two cohorts within two times. And so I had about 40 people <laughs> who who came in through the pilots and people that I had engaged through the market research became my champions. Those are those the people, all that fear I had about, I got to tell people I'm starting this new thing. And what happened is even, I think far more interesting is because of their support, they referred me to people who enrolled them in my pilots. I didn't even know. I think I maybe knew only about six of the 40 people who were in my pilots. And that was like pretty amazing to me as well. So I had a number of different roles that people play in the mental health field. CEOs, directors, I had peer specialists, I had clinicians, I had uh, youth coordinators, I had family support partners, I had people from all different types of levels within mental health organizations, and also from different organizations themselves. I had some from child welfare, I had some from juvenile justice, I had some from uh, university settings. I had this really great wide variety of people who came into my pilots. And that, that diversity really helped inform me what that, that academy was going to be in the future. Awesome. You know, I can imagine people listening to this and relating to the work that you do because they're in helping professions as well. And one of the things that I've found people in that context often struggle with is how to think about pricing because, you know, maybe you're serving nonprofits or you're serving people in need. And it's like, well, I, I should just give this away. I shouldn't charge. But of course, that's completely unsustainable. You've got to earn a living. You've got to be able to sustainably do what you do and reach more people. How do you think about your pricing? That is such a great question. I realized that I used sort of the formula, okay, so how much time am I going to spend teaching this? How much effort do I need to put into this? What kind of support am I providing to the students that are coming through? What's my level of expertise, right? And so that combination in a 10-week academy um, really uh, put me in the position of, of charging $19.97 per student. And, you know, really looking at all of the things that they're getting, it's pretty high touch. And it's, it's live courses, it's live weekly, and um, they get lots of coaching because they're trying to launch their idea. Now, I'm not teaching people how to do TikTok. I'm teaching people 
the process to that they would go through so that they can get permission from their board to do something like that, or that they can actually get the next steps to learn what they need to do in order to do it. And the people who come through have the skill forever. They put it on their resume. They're better at project management. They're better at like so many other things. So that's how I sort of come to the value or it's a, it's like, how much is this course? Should you value it <laughs> is another perspective. Um, so I feel good about it. I actually, in the course in the beginning, it was awkward, but you know, once you just like, you're like, this is what it is and you move forward with it, then people choose. And once you, you're very right. The first one is always more awkward. Once you've done the first one, there's a precedent. So it's like, it's no big deal anymore. I guess let's continue to drill down a bit more on like, what have you learned in terms of making your courses really effective for people? We have a lot of you know listeners who are also creating courses around uh, topics related to therapy and, and kind of that general sphere. And it can sometimes be a, a challenging area for people to transition into creating courses if they're used to working with people one-on-one or in groups or in person. So just kind of curious if you can share, you know, what have been, what have you learned about um, creating online programs in this area? What were, you know, some of the challenges you've had to address and what have you incorporated over time to make your courses really effective for people? Great question. Because, you know, as a, a licensed clinical social worker, I'm very comfortable in talking with people one-on-one and asking things about their personal life. <laughs> but what I found is that I really lacked the educational design part of what I really needed to know. And I, in the very beginning, was experiencing probably some like anxiety. And so I spent a year uh, working um, with Re- Rebecca Cuevas, who's a course, course design formula, and she taught me <laughs> what is a good course design and went with me through all of my modules on Rizuku and built my PowerPoints. Everything was based on the nine elements of, of good instruction. I just learned so much. I think that's that's what people like myself who are in the helping field is we, we need to fill ourselves up with the skills we don't have anymore. If you want to be successful as a teacher, then you need to, you need to learn what the teachers know. And so I really uh, have done um, a lot of learning and developing my skill. And so the other thing to that, that end is I also realized that I need to evaluate my courses. And so I have an independent evaluator who helped me create um, evaluation tools that I'm going to be able to actually say, well, this is what they've learned. Um, And so that I can actually course correct myself to see, oh, well, they're actually not really learning this particular concept. And, And maybe number one, is it important? If it's not, then maybe I just stop teaching it or it is really important. I need to figure out how to do it better. And so I, I really feel like the biggest area of growing for me was learning how to be an excellent teacher. Um, and I, the other thing is just, um, I think it's about learning for me and self-discovery is that I'm actually good enough. And sometimes putting something out there is good enough. And knowing that you have a promise to yourself to make that good enough even better next time. <laughs> and I I really had to embrace this early on because if it was going to be perfect, it was never going to get launched. It was never going to ever happen. And I had to get comfortable with what I probably 
or maybe many people call it, it's imperfectly perfect. You know what? I'm going to show up 100% for all my students and they're going to know it. And so when I make mistakes or I flub or I accidentally like shut the whole Zoom class down when I was leaving a breakout room and I was like, this is just a mess. <laughs> and and they thought somebody thought that they'd actually done it because they clicked something and I, I could have blamed it on them, but I did not. I own my own mistakes and I, I turned the Zoom back on and I kept going. So I think learning Zoom is probably another part of, you know, really understanding what's the best way to use Zoom, what's the best way to use breakout rooms? What are, you know, how can you enhance the experience online so it's better than in person? Cool. Can we unpack a bit more of the independent evaluation piece? Like, how did you come to realize that was going to be important? And what does it actually look like if, you know, if someone is white thinking about, hey, maybe I should be doing that for, you know, my own course? What does it look like to have? an effective evaluation? And how do you get one, first of all? And then what is the impact of doing it? So it's probably a little simpler than people would think, right? Because having a good evaluation tool, like asking the right questions, getting a baseline at the beginning of your course, and then following that up with a pre-survey and a post-survey, and having that written in a way that evaluators write them. So they're written that they're not leading and it's really getting to what you're trying to teach the people in the classroom. The reason I felt like it was important is I wanted to bring credibility into my courses. And many of the people that I was talking to around when I was first starting and it was brand new and I'd not done it before, some of the organizations were saying, well, where's the data, Deborah, that this course is effective? Where's the research behind that this is going to be better than any other training? And I couldn't provide it. I provided testimonials and I I could do that. But I really felt in my field that I was being limited by that, not having some data that I could show that there was a change as a result of somebody coming through my program. And because of the fact that I value myself, I value my knowledge, and I do charge what I believe it's worth. So it's not the cheapest course. And I feel like I owe it to my students. I owe it to the world to say that here's the transformation that you can expect from sending somebody through it. What it looks like is that you you meet with a person who is an evaluator and you tell them, this is my course and this is what I'm trying to teach. And they distill it down to... um, here are the questions. So this is what you're you're thinking the transformation is going to be. So let's measure it. And it really, the simple part of it, it's a Google form. And most people know how to fill out a Google form. And then the Google form, pre-survey, post-survey. And then those results, you know, Google's great. Google has a, a sheet that the responses come into the Google sheet. So I have somebody as an independent contractor who is going to call through that information and be able to write some reports on my behalf. And I felt like for me that it's worth it. So it's, it's primarily a structured assessment that you give to people before they start the course and after the course. Correct. Deborah, this was really, really good. Is there anything else that you want to say to the course creators who are listening to this? I think for me, this has absolutely been the best thing that I've ever done in my career. And me leaning into creating these courses and interacting with students that online where I could never have done that before. I think COVID was a gift to all of us that people were like, oh, online trainings are good and it are worth it. 
And in the field, many of the people used to have to get double secret permission to travel somewhere. And it was like usually like a no, like a no go. And so it really has opened up this world for myself and maybe other people to like teach your gift and you're able to like do it online in the comfort of your own home. And I think lastly is it has just afforded me the flexibility to work when I want to work, the flexibility to, you know, establish my, my own like um, flow. Uh, you know, I guess that's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Is, is I, I get to create, I get to be creative and I'm not hampered by some of the rules that existed in job sites. Oh, you can't do that. Don't go to the box there. That's a great idea. Not here. No, you can't talk to that person because, you know, and all of a sudden I just, I have this freedom to create and to be able to be in charge of the transformation that people get. So I get pretty excited about that. And then on the other note, I think this is this is the most money that I have actually ever made, even in the field. It really gives me the freedom, you know, to create as many courses as I want. I'm up, to five, I'm up to five courses now in three years. And so it's just wonderful. And it's such a great community. And I think the other thing is, you know, I've made connections with other people who do this. I, I think another thing I would want to say is that in order to do this and make this huge pivot... I was terrified and I was afraid and I did it anyway. And I created a tribe for myself, people who believed in me and kept the people who didn't away. And I think we have to surround ourselves with as much positivity and actually envision ourselves as successful before we are successful and then live successfully. That is really what I would say to all new course creators is go in, go all the way. And if you believe it will happen. Deborah, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Deborah Katie is the founder and CEO of Silver Linings International. To learn more about her and the youth support programs that she has crafted, please visit silverliningsinternational.org. That's silverliningsinternational.org. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Abe, where shall we begin? I think uh, the first theme here was just emphasizing once again the difference between domain or subject matter expertise and creating an effective course. And I think something that is still not fully appreciated is that just because you have expertise in your area, because you're a great therapist or, you know, a really effective consultant in a particular area for businesses or an amazing photographer, like you're good at your domain and specific skill set, doesn't necessarily mean that you can design an engaging and, and effective course that translates that expertise and, and helps someone else learn and apply it. And that's still something I feel like we have to keep shouting from the rooftops because as courses have become more popular and mainstream, there are also still a lot of courses being created that are essentially doing that, right? They're basically just taking um, content and expertise, putting it into a container and and calling it um, a course. And so the, the more we can share the stories of people like Deborah, who have gone through that process to actually redesign um, and improve their courses based on 
principles of effective learning design and then go the extra mile to actually put in place an evaluation mechanism to see how effective their courses are and to identify specific ways to improve them. You know, that's really the path forward. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's two sides to that, right? One side is the, you know, you are not an expert in this and therefore it is you know, incumbent on you to learn how to do this properly because it's an important part of, you know, creating a course that's good. The other part is that, you know, because nobody's an expert at something they're doing for the first time, that's just, you know, axiomatically, you know, we've got to learn, there's a learning curve. It means that you're stepping into the unknown. It can be very uncomfortable. I, I love the way Deborah articulated it. That, you know, I was fearful and I did it anyway. And that kind of repeated and recurred. And so she was talking about her market research at first and how, you know, she jumped in and she did it, even though it was scary, which is, you know, that's what you need to do. And it worked out great. And the people she spoke to ended up becoming evangelists and so forth. And it's always a work in progress. And so, you know, she enrolled people into her course and it was doing great. And she was also seeing resistance of people saying, you know, is there proof? Is there validity? Is there evaluation and data showing that this actually works? Which, of course, the first time there will never be. So you can't wait for that. I like the way she said it. Putting something out there is good enough. I like to say to our team when we're working, the best we can do is the best we can do. Right. And you do it and that makes you better putting something out there, getting the traction you're going to get, and then working to raise the bar for yourself. I really appreciate that balance that came up in the conversation. That was powerful. I think it's important to remember, too, that like most people listening and creating courses, they're probably similar to Deborah in the sense that they're working within a very specific domain or niche, right? You're not creating courses to compete with like vast mainstream topics, right? You're not creating courses to compete with Oprah. You're not creating courses to compete with the level of polish that we see on, you know, uh, broadcast TV. Like you're creating courses to serve a very specific need that is going to go unmet if you don't like get it going. Um, So like refocusing the efforts on how can, like, where am I really helping, right? Who are the people that need my course, that need help from me? And not comparing yourself against what you may see in mass culture that is cool and, like, you can draw inspiration from it, but that's that's not the benchmark for, you know, what a, a successful online course can or should be. Yep, agree 100%. The other thing that I just thought was interesting was the conversation about pricing and charging what what you're doing is worth. Um, I was just listening to an episode on uh, our sister show in the network, Soul Savvy Business, and there was a comment around you need to get your your mind out of other people's wallets, right? It's not your place to guess what they can or can't afford or can't spend or so forth. And I like the way you know, Deborah just said, you know, just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean they don't have budgets, right? They have budgets and they need to spend money to get things done. Um, so I just thought that was a really good reinforcement. Yeah, it's easy to talk yourself out of the value of your course. But things that are valuable, people find ways to to pay for them. Yep, absolutely. All right, you want to read us out? Yep. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Blowing Up. 
This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. Another big thanks to Deborah Katie for sharing her program with us today. If you want to learn more about her, check out silverliningsinternational.org. Make sure you don't miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you're enjoying our show, please do leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And, and I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, You do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach.
I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.